Welcome to Fun and Fundraising, everybody, the podcast where we talk with people behind top nonprofit galas and signature fundraisers to showcase how they positively transform their communities. I am your host, Rob Giardinelli, and today I'm really excited to have Dan Perry on as a guest. Dan Perry is the development director for the Lyndon Lyndon Baines Johnson Foundation. They recently hosted an event called the With Liberty and Justice for All Dinner, which is an annual event. And this year, they actually did something really cool. They basically, they announced a new program and they got to honor a cultural icon that pretty much everyone in Texas and beyond knows pretty much by the sight of a first name, not even a full name. So I'm really excited to talk with Dan about it. Um, So Dan, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Rob. Glad to be here. Awesome. So, you know, let, let's start a little bit about, you know, the Lyndon's Bain, the Lyndon Baines, Lyndon Baines Johnson Foundation, which is also known as the LBJ Foundation. So I'll call it that going forward. So tell us a yeah. little bit about the mission of the LBJ Foundation. Well, the LBJ Foundation was set up in uh, 1971 when the library opened and it was after LBJ's presidency. And um, he really did two things with uh, the foundation. One was to start the first school of public affairs, graduate school of public affairs in Texas, the LBJ School for Public Affairs at University of Texas at Austin, and also the library, which serves as a library that holds uh, 45 million records of his archives and the museum that delves into the, the legacy and history of the Johnson administration. And if you know about the Johnson administration, there's really a lot that happened in those five years with all of the legislation he passed around Medicare to uh, National Endowment for the Arts and Humanities to the Higher Education Act, the Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act, the list goes on and on. It's pretty incredible. Uh, and of course, also the Vietnam War, which um, you know was a, a major event of that time as well. So it's a really rich museum. Um, the mission of the foundation is to support those two entities. And so uh, we support the programming that happens at the library, which uh, there is a distinguished speaker series that happens nine months out of the year, bring in journalists, um, people who have been involved in politics to talk about public affairs uh, issues of the day. And that happens approximately monthly. It's a membership-based um event series and then there's the future forum which is more uh, it's also a speaker series but it's more locally focused on issues of texas and central texas and we do some special events around certain topics we've done a civil rights summit and a variety of summits and other uh, topic-based issue areas and then the museum which has uh, the full johnson administration museum plus some temporary exhibits. Like right now, uh, we have an exhibit on the Lorax because when that was written, the archives for all of the original drawings for the Lorax were given to us. And another one that's on Lady Bird Johnson uh, specifically. And then with the school, we fund fellowships for graduate students uh, and some of the typical things around supporting the research centers, faculty positions, and um, the Washington, D.C. Center, where graduate students can go to live in D.C. and study there for a year. You know, there's, you know, I will say one thing. If anyone ever feels overwhelmed trying to put a collection or an archive together, just imagine what you have to do with a presidential archive. And especially, you know, 
LBJ was president in the 60s, and that was a time kind of before computers. So everything was documented on a piece of paper. And just I'm just every and I've had the good fortune of going into that many times over the years. And I just I am always overwhelmed and awe-inspired by one, how beautiful the space is, but two, how thoughtful and careful the both the permanent exhibits are, and then also the rotating other exhibits that are, you know, political, but they're also cultural. Like I remember one time. Um, there was one kind of on um, like the history of Motown that was on and Mary Wilson came in from the Supremes before she passed away. There really is a yeah. full wide range of programming that you all offer that, yes, politics is obviously part of it and celebrated, but you all also really do such a good and thoughtful job of celebrating culture as well. And I just wanted to make that, you know, make that aware to everyone who's listening. Yeah, and I think that's an important part. I think uh, a lot of people who grew up in Austin think about it as a museum where you've gone there, learned about the Johnson administration, and uh, you know, and that's what there is in terms of exhibits. But as you said, we have rotating exhibits that uh, you know are changing out all the time. Every six months, we have a new temporary exhibit. So we really do focus on bringing content back that it's going to continue to engage the. Uh, people who come to the museum and we have over a hundred thousand visitors a year. So there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people come in from out of town as well as, as locally to the museum. Absolutely. And, you know, talk a little bit about how you, I mean, we talked a little bit about this before, you know, um, we hopped on the air here, but tell us about how you got involved with the LBJ foundation. Sure. So I started actually fairly recently, February uh, 21st of this year, 2023, was my first day. I came from, actually, I, interestingly, uh, LBJ's alma mater, Texas State University, which was Southwest Texas State Teachers College, I believe, when he went there. And um, and so he you know, was our most famous alumnus. We talked a lot about how uh, Texas State was the only university in Texas to have a graduate of the university as a president. Um, but I found I'd been there 10 years and I found out about this position. And I'm just somebody who's always been interested in public affairs. Uh, I have a master's degree in international uh, relations and studied uh, social policy as an undergraduate. And the Johnson administration and the the Great Society was always Intriguing to me, just in the sense of, you know, when you think about how can uh, we make the world a better place and impact people's lives with, whether it's with uh, financial investments or with policy, you know, as I mentioned, so much in the Johnson administration continues to affect the lives that uh, of Americans today. Tell you a little story. I uh, had somebody come to the library Actually, somebody who had come to our gala came into town the other day and and took her through the museum. And we were talking in the domestic policy section about that fact, you know, that that so much of what was done back then is still a foundation of some of the programs we have. And as we said that, uh, somebody who was in the museum turned and he was a teacher who was bringing a Head Start group of students from Chicago to Austin to visit the museum. And he was clearly touched by what he was seeing. You know, Head Start was one of the programs that the Johnson administration started. And he said, you know, it's so impactful for these students to see that Johnson started the Head Start program and they're, that's what they're benefiting from. And, and, you know, just, it was, it was a moving moment and it kind of resonated with just how important those programs continue to be. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I want to add to that, um, you know, the Johnsons in particular, so much of anyone who either lives in Austin or comes to visit Austin, you see their footprints and their fingerprints all over this city. Like anyone who has ever walked on Town Lake, which is just a beautiful, gorgeous, you know, several mile network of trails, that is all because Lady Bird Johnson really stewarded and spearheaded that, you know, and that was happening right around the time that the, um, you know, the library was opening in the early 70s. And one of the reasons people find Austin so majestic is because of the things that the Johnsons did 50 years ago that still people love and come back to decade after decade and what makes Austin such a desirable city for so many. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, obviously the town lake was renamed for Lady Bird Lake um in her honor and i think that she is so beloved locally for the uh ladybird wildflower center and and like you're saying as much as she did uh to sort of beautify and and uh, contribute to conservation in the city and it's a great place to live uh, for that reason although i know that austinites would not want me to say that um you know on the air but um, <laughs> and that's okay we've got a, we got people from not from Austin that listen so we're, we're all good yeah. there so sure. you know um you know so I want to talk a little bit about you know you know the gala and you know but before we go into kind of the details and the specifics of the gala what is just so amazing about what you all did this year was you basically announced something new and it tied in with a milestone of a cultural icon so talk a little bit about the new endowment, why it was yeah. created, and who it's named after. Yeah, so we knew we were going to give the LBJ uh, Liberty and Justice Award for all to um, to Willie Nelson, and it was actually the idea of the dean of the LBJ School, J.R. DeShazo, to create the endowment, the Willie Nelson Endowment for Uplifting Rural Communities. And to give it a purpose uh, that that aligned with the work that, and really as a way to honor Willie Nelson for the work that he did around farm aid. Um, you know, if you are familiar with uh, that music series and the number of times he's played benefit concerts to benefit uh, farming communities and farming families, uh, farm aid raised over $70 million over all the years that he's contributed to it. So this award, obviously, there's what he's done as an artist, uh, which that in and of itself merits um, recognition. But the the award itself actually was mostly recognizing the work that he's done for farming families and, um, you know, through philanthropic and just the amount of time that he's given. Um, and so the the award generally in the past is given to people who are involved with politics, Ruth Bader or justices, you know, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, George H.W. Bush, Jimmy Carter. Uh, there's been a number of people who were a little bit more political in nature. It's the first time we've given it to a cultural figure. But the the theme of the award is to people who, in LBJ's words, uh, right wrong, do justice, and serve man. And so, you know, that's that's really, uh, I think, Willie Nelson definitely, uh, you know, fits with that. I think there was one other piece as we were thinking about choosing Willie Nelson or as, as the board was in... That's, you know, there's so many overlaps with LBJ as well. Um, both are Texans. Willie Nelson came from 
uh, Texas, up by the Waco area, and never forgot where he came from. He's done a lot for Texas, a lot for uh, Texas farming families. And so it was important for us to come back to Austin. It's the first time uh, that we've given the award here in Austin, Texas at the library. Every other time since 2010, when it was created, it was in Washington, D.C. Um, so that was something new about it. But um, the the Willie Nelson Endowment for Uplifting Rural Communities is held at the LBJ School, and it's for the benefit of the work done at the LBJ School, supporting student fellowships, faculty research around uh, rural uh, communities, farming families, clean water, uh, and issues like that. You know, and I think you know one of the one of the things that um, people will often ask or ask me is they'll they'll ask you know how do I make the ask you know with with somebody to get them to say yes, and there has to be some sort of emotional tie. And I'm I'm just so grateful that you explained you know the similarities in the backgrounds of these two people, you know, they both grew up in rural areas. They both grew up poor. They both, you know, really wanted to pay it forward and back to those communities really kind of as a mission, you know, a mission in their, in their lives, as opposed to many other things that they were initiating and they were tied to. And, you know, it's just, the emotional tie is all about connecting the dots. And sometimes the dots are actually pretty obvious. And in this case, they're pretty obvious, but it also at the same time takes a certain amount of, um, you know, it takes amount of planning and amount of courage to ask that, you know, to get someone like Willie to say yes, comma, and to show up. And, you know, this also tied in with something special this year with Willie Nelson, because he was celebrating his 90th birthday. So, and it was really within a week or two of his birthday. So, I mean, there was really so much to celebrate. And the fact that you all came home back to Austin and had it here really, you know, really highlights just how special that evening was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and actually, uh, Willie Nelson and LBJ knew each other as well. So there was an element there. And some members of our board also served in the Johnson administration and knew Willie. And so there was, you know, also a personal connection, I think, for Willie with the Johnson administration as well. So um, it was it was a fun event. Uh, for sure. And I think, you know, in terms of making the emotional connection, you know, somebody said to me, well, shoot, you're fundraising for Willie Nelson. I mean, who doesn't love Willie Nelson? <laughs> so, and <laughs> honoring him on his 90th birthday or right around that time, uh, a lot of people came out, you know, to to honor him and to and gave knowing that this was going to contribute to an endowment that would um, be benefiting an area that's, that's meaningful to him. So. Wow. So, you know, that's, I mean, that all sounds really amazing. I definitely kind of want to start to dive a little bit kind of more into kind of the event itself. So the first thing that I thought was, you know, there's really two things that I find interesting here. One is, is that you started really three months before the event happened. But two, you have this additional layer of this is really the first signature fundraising gala that you're doing. And it's not, yes, it's where you work and where you're based, but it's not where it usually is. So talk about what it was like to kind of come into that process, because that's a pretty, you know, for someone who's, you know, in development and asking for funds, that's a pretty tall order to do and to pull off. So I'd love to hear your thoughts and insights on, you know, how you navigated that. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Well, you know, for for one, the context of starting February twenty first, we actually found out that the uh, that Willie Nelson was going to um, be available to accept the award on May twelfth. On March eighth is when that date was set. We had thought it was going to be in the fall. Uh, and when I was interviewing for the position, you know, there was conversation about it likely happening in the fall. But on my second week uh, on the job was where we found out, no, actually, uh, you know, we have approximately uh, two months to plan this event and carry it off. And um, so, you know, that was obviously it was something where all of our attention shifted to the event. And I had people who, you know, our colleagues uh, in fundraising who said, how are you going to pull off a major event in two months? <laughs> it just exactly. seems like a tall, a tall order, but um, you know, one thing, and this is a lesson for me, one, uh, it's an incredible team here. Uh, you know, they do large events and have done a number of large events Many of the people who work for the foundation have been here over 10 years, uh, know each other well. There's a lot of trust in the team where each person knows their role. So they work together very effectively. I should say, uh, for people who don't know, the foundation is only nine people. So it's a small uh, but mighty team. But even more than that, the uh, the vendor relationships and the trust with the vendors, I think, was critical. So we had already worked with the graphic design company on a number of other occasions, the event planning uh, company and design company uh, had already done other large events for us. And so, you know, they actually started working on the event before the ink was even, you know, dry or signed on the contracts. It was, you know, everybody was ready to roll up their sleeves. We knew who we could go to. Uh, I think all those factors were critical uh, in being able to pull off the event. We did, as you said, had had a history of doing it in a different city, uh, Washington, D.C. We didn't know how many of those relationships are going to carry over to a new market. We didn't know whether the sponsorship level, you know, pricing essentially for the gala was going to carry over from that market. You know, it's a different thing to do an event in Washington, D.C. for a political figure in some ways in terms of who comes out to it, who's likely to sponsor than it is to do it in Texas and Austin, Texas for a cultural figure. But um, we really saw, one, many of the funders uh, who had uh, been with us in Washington, D.C., continued to carry over to Austin. So, you know, that helped a lot. And then we brought on some new funders. Uh, it was a great thing that we had. Our lead presenting sponsor was HEB, which, you know, if you live in Texas, you know, HEB does so much for Texas. Absolutely. Um, Tito's Vodka, which, you know, is also a large Texas uh, brand. So, you know, we really had a lot of Texas-based uh, companies also come forward to sponsor this. And I think the Willie Nelson connection was was strong for them and, and the rural uh, component to it. But, um, you know, was, I think the other big factor for us was the support of our board and some of the volunteers who'd been involved with uh, doing this event in past years as well. So as somebody who was brand new, you know, I sort of came into this with a, a bit of a leap of faith that 
you know, that we'd been able to do this event and pull it off in a big way. And everyone seemed fairly confident that we were going to be able to do that. And, um, you know, just learned how supportive um, many members of the board were and reaching out through their own networks as well. And, and uh, members of the LBJ School Advisory Council. So, you know, it's we sold out the event, uh, 560 people, every seat, more than every seat in some ways. We had to add <laughs> two <there>. tables <laughs> uh, to it in the end. But um, so it, it really was a team effort. And for somebody who's brand new, was an amazing opportunity for me to get to know the community of donors and and community of donors even who had not been involved with the foundation before, but maybe were involved with UT uh, previously, you know, and, and came out to this event. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's been a great way to, you know, trial by fire, as they say, but to get to know the organization, get to know the team. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I want to ask you a question, and that is, you know, what is a piece of advice you would give to somebody who has to plan something on an accelerated timeline? Well, hopefully you are walking into a template that, you know, that, that is there to some degree. It's helpful a lot. Um, I think that the other thing is, you know, dealing with some of the potential ambiguity. Uh, we didn't know. We ended up having Eric Church, Sam Hunt, L. King, and Lyle Lovett all perform at the event. Uh, that would have been great to know right up front on day one to put into our materials and, you know, to be able to advertise that out. Those names actually weren't finalized until sometime in April. So, you know, it was it was a little bit of taking the information that we had at each time and going out, um, you know, with what we had in the moment and kind of leaning into the pieces that we did know, like the endowment, um, you know, to as communication points uh, as we were building, um, you know, the sponsor base. Obviously, once we had the performers, we were able to go out for that communication. We got another boost in in ticket sales. I think the other part was just, um, you know, making decisions quickly. Is it, uh, you know, perfect as the enemy of, uh, of, or good as the, I forget what the saying is. Perfect as the, the enemy, enemy of good. good. Of good or something to yeah. that effect, yeah, you know, sort of. Uh, we had to, you know, just just work quickly to put the materials together. I think I, it took us about a week to design all of the sponsorship materials and send them to print and starting put, you know, put together the sponsor list and. Yeah, you know, normally probably would have taken longer, but when you've got two months, I sort of worked backward in my head and said, I've got a week to do this. You know, we just need to start getting it out there and getting the word out. So, well, and you know, it, what, what I love how you explain that because there were a couple of things I picked up on it. One is, is that, you know, you know, and we're not saying everyone do plan event out in two months, but when, when you kind of have to, when it goes from a, you know, a six or eight month timeline to a two month timeline, what it sounds like you did was, you know, you had Willie and you had the draw up front, but then you had these other musicians that came in later on. It was, you had the initial momentum with Willie and then you were able to build on the momentum later on with announcements of the other performers to help maybe some people that were on the fence who maybe like Willie Nelson, but also really like Lyle Lovett to get them to kind of come over and say yes, because yes, a lot of people are going to say yes right away, but there's also some folks that 
want to take their time and just kind of want to see how things unfold. And the more of it they saw, oh, it's going to really be in addition to that, there's also going to be a show. You know, it added a whole new element to it for you all that really just kind of built momentum. And I felt it here in the city because I, when I was going to stuff, I would say the second half of April and that first week of May, I was hearing people nonstop talking about talking about it because they were really excited that this was happening because it was kind of a once in a lifetime sort of thing to kind of have yeah. Willie and kind of a that small of an environment, him be honored and have a concert with, you know, musicians that he had personal ties to. It was really, yeah. really just the way you explain that was just really wonderful to just kind of see how one thing kind of built to the other, built to the other, and it made it feel less overwhelming. And like you said, you don't really have time to second guess when you have a when you have a 60 or 90 day timeline that you do mm -hmm. when you have a nine month timeline. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and the event itself did end up, you know, being so special. I mean, it was uh, the within the tent, we had 560 people, but, you know, we ended up doing under a tent outdoors um, and it just felt like every seat in the house, you know, you were you were close in to, to Willie. And um, I mean, the, the performances were phenomenal. The musicians were there to honor Willie as well. So there just was so much of a, an emotional, you know, connection in for everyone who was there uh, honoring him and all he's done in his life. So, well, and when that happens, there's also a lot more authenticity with that because sometimes, you know, like, and all celebrity performances are really good and they're really fun at galas. But when you have that emotional tie, it just gives, you know, from the musicians themselves, it just gives it an extra layer of warmth and an extra layer of heart within an event. You just feel it throughout yeah. the room because, you know, I I've gone to enough things that, you know, you can tell when things are good, but you can tell when the room is really speaking and that, you know, having those elements with those musicians and with all those creatives that, that makes that job for you all much easier to do that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other, you know, to the, to the character of the event also, uh, you know, I note to a lot of people who are thinking of it as a fundraising gala that it really wasn't actually primarily a fundraising gala, right? It was a gala to honor Willie Nelson and the fundraising element to set up the endowment uh, in his name was a part of honoring him. Clearly, it also benefited uh, the school, you know, which was within the mission of the LBJ Foundation. But at the event itself, and we had people comment about this, you know, they said it was really a clean event in the way where there were pretty minimal you know, speeches. There wasn't really a pitch about the endowment. There weren't, there was no paddles up or silent auction. We weren't trying to maximize the fundraising like you would at a normal gala that's fundraising for the operations, you know, of a nonprofit or something where the nonprofit is counting on that. It was designed to honor Willie Nelson. And so most all of the event content was focused on what was going to to honor him there that night and less on, you know, the fundraising part of it. You know, and that's really important for people to know with, you know, with donors, with nonprofits is, you know, a lot of the time they feel courted all the time that for them to just kind of have a night and a space to enjoy. I bet a lot of those donors probably were grateful for that. And then the next time you do 
come around and ask, whether it's for next year's gala or something else, they're going to remember how they felt in that space with Willie and that it was really, it was just a night for them to enjoy. And they'll come back and they'll say yes in future years because you gave them that space to do that. I think that's really incredible. Yeah, I think that the uh, the richness of the experience of being there that night, we've had a number of people who that was their first experience with the foundation. They said, you know, we didn't realize that you did programming and how can I get more involved and engaged with the programming that you do? And so it has opened the door for us to go back out to some of those donors and, and sponsors to talk to them about the other you know, programs that we offer and ways that can continue to engage. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's not just about making the ask, but it's also about knowing when to ask and kind of, you know, allowing certain beats to play. And I just think you all did such a wonderful job with that. And one other thing I kind of want to dive into about the event is, so you had basically five big musical names. What Mm -hmm. is a piece of advice you would give to an organization looking to do an event that has a lot of high profile talent, energy, personalities that are tied with it? Yeah, I think one uh, piece of that is obviously you're not just dealing with the artists themselves, you're dealing with the stakeholders around them. And so, you know, there's uh, with Willie, there's obviously his agent, uh, his publicist, his family who were concerned potentially, you know, around uh, health concerns and just about him personally being 90 years old. So, um, you know, and, and then layer that on with the other artists as well. Um, you know, it's, you definitely have to be mindful of, um, you know, the, the communications we were putting out, running it through their team. And I think for, for the agent, for the family, for the publicist, for Willie Nelson, you know, we were also creating this event in a way that was consistent with, uh, his, his, who he is. And, you know, in some ways I would say the Willie brand, right. But, um, <laughs> and I say that probably because we, for the table numbers, when you walked in, you got a music a guitar pick that had Willie's, you know, face on it. And then the backside was the table number. Uh, the giveaway for the event was a red bandana that had Willie Nelson's face and LBJ's face. And then, you know, a variety of other things that, that had to do with the LBJ Liberty and Justice for All Award. Um, and then the the attire itself, uh, which we told people was Hill Country Cocktail. And, you know, I've, I've heard some of your other podcasts and people talk about attire, which, you know, if you're not saying, I think black tie is meaningful for everyone. They know exactly what that is, uh, you know, business attire. But when you say Hill Country Cocktail and you tell that to people who are coming in from Washington, D.C. Oh. or California, <laughs> or, <laughs> I got a lot of calls from people saying, what is Hill Country Cocktail? <laughs> I said, well, you know, just think of it as uh, maybe Willie Nelson chic, you know, sort of, but, you know, have fun with it. Be creative. If you want to wear a suit, wear a suit. If you want to wear, you know, cowboy boots and jeans and, you know, a sport coat, do that as well. And so it it ended up being just, you know, be flexible, but understand that this is about building an environment that honors Willie, that he feels comfortable in, that um you know is built around him and who he is and i think that all of that partly went into in some ways building that confidence that we were going to uh you know that he wasn't just 
coming in for us to have something or someone to fundraise around. It was really a genuine understanding that this was about honoring Willie for all he's done to serve uh, farming families and, and uh, you know, that it really is consistent with kind of LBJ and LBJ's legacy and, and people who continue to carry forward that legacy. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's fun when you were kind of explaining that, like, you know, when you were talking about the program earlier and it's like you don't need to have a program with lots of speakers when you have such smart things like a guitar pick that everyone's going to take home because that's something they can easily put in their pocket and they'll remember afterwards. They already know what, you know, why they were there, you know, especially if you've got yeah. these little things that are really pocket size, it allows you. So I love how thoughtful you all were in that you could bypass a lot of those program program elements because you were so thoughtful in how the guests were being treated so that they had a really good experience and that they'll want to come back and support the organization again and again. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it was all part of what made the event fun. Right. And, you know, that's uh, a lot of that credit goes to our event plan, uh, event planning partner, um, you know, to, yeah. to pull together that whole design. So. Absolutely. And I have one more question and it's on the subject of fun. So you had talked a little bit, you know, a couple of times earlier about you have folks coming in from DC. So I always like going to events where there's people from multiple cities because it just brings just different energy to an event. So in what ways do you think having people from multiple cities as guests in an event, how do you think it made it more fun? Uh, well, I think it in some ways it it brings up the energy because you know it's not just uh, another Thursday night gala that people are going to and then you know going back home. I mean, people are traveling in and making a full weekend of it. Uh, you know, so people were planning their itinerary to do a special tour of the LBJ, you know, museum, uh, library museum here, and you know, planning other activities while they were in town getting dressed up, you know, coming in as a group and organizing a table to get together people who uh, were from Washington, D.C. and knew other people who were here, maybe involved with the LBJ administration who hadn't seen each other in in years. And so I think um, for us, particularly, there was that energy of of reuniting, of, you know, making this, um, you know, really an occasion to celebrate. So. Well, you know, a celebration it was, and it's one of those nights that I know people will be, and I've heard people talk about it throughout the summer. It's one of those nights I think people will be talking about in Austin and probably elsewhere for a long time to come. So Dan, thank you again for being a guest today and congratulations on a wonderful event. Thank you. It's been fun. Absolutely. So for more information about the LBJ Foundation, visit lbjlibrary.org slash foundation. And that will do it for this episode of Fun and Fundraising. I am your host, Rob Giardinelli, reminding you to keep it fun, keep it interesting, and your guests will have a great time. Have a great day, everyone, and take care.